Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. My name is Dale O'Donnell and I'm joined by Leah Smith, a writer from Stratynews.com. Leah, how are you? Hi, Dale. Yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all good. Thank you. Good stuff. Well, we're going to just have a quick chat about last night's draw against the Hampton and Old Trafford. A 2-2 bump in the road, a setback, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the performance itself was quite disappointing. United you know, never really got a hold on the game. There was no tempo. Passing rhythm was non-existent, really. Um, just as an overview of the performance, Leah, what were your thoughts? I think, I mean, a point is not it's not the end of the world. Definitely not. Um, I think the performance uh, summed up the fact that we've played as much football as what we have. We looked very tired. I think we looked a little bit lethargic and a little bit off the pace. Credit to Southampton. They played, they played a really good game, and mm. their game plan worked perfectly. But... Overall, not a good performance. I think I could pick out three or four players which had a decent game. Who would they be? Uh, De Gea. De Gea mm. had a good game. Uh, Luke Shaw, definitely, before he came off. Mm. Martial um, and probably Rashford. Yeah. But that's me. Other, other than that, the other, the other uh, seven players, you, you know, I think it was Fergie that said, you can get away with one or two having an off game, but any more than that, and, you, and you're probably going to lose. And... You know, that's a position where we had only a third of our team sort of turned up last night. One of the players I wanted to talk about was Bruno Fernandes. Um, before I get onto it, going through social media last night, I kind of knew when the full-time whistle was blown to kind of probably best to stay away from Twitter. Um, people were very, very reactive. And you would not think Manchester United are on an 18-game unbeaten streak. But... Bruno Fernandes is a player that was singled out as someone that are one of his off nights, and I I do agree. Um, but the way in which United played, the midfield our midfield was non-existent, so I find it hard to see how Bruno Fernandes would have any impact or flow on the game. Let's not forget he had an assist too, and mm. some some people are kind of suggesting that a lot of the players they look really tired, and I agree. And he is one of them that looks that looks shattered. But I think for the remaining three games, regardless of how he performs, regardless of how tired he looks. United are in a bit of a dead end now. They have to win their main three games. He's their star player. Surely he's going to start their main games. Or do you think that Solskjaer, because he has Pogba, will run the risk of maybe starting a Mata or a Lingard instead of Fernandez? So let's not forget too. I'd rather have Bruno Fernandez with one leg than either of those two right now. I think it's a, I think it's really tough. I've got to be honest. I do. I've thought about it, and I think it just comes down to 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 what Solskjaer is going to prioritize. Does does he want, and and also what he thinks the fans want more? 
does he want to win top four outright? Does he want to win the FA Cup? Does he want to win Europa League? I I think Fernandez may get rested against Palace. Do you not think you'll rest him against Chelsea instead? Because this is exactly the kind of the topic I wanted to move on to. You know, prioritizing the top four, the FA Cup, Europa League. I I t- I think looking at it, the priority is being in the Champions League next season, and the, the earliest we can get into that is by getting into the top four. And I think if he does that and doesn't win the Europa League. It won't be that bad, but uh, but I, I do feel that if he wins the Europa League and doesn't get top four, it raises a lot of questions going into next season. While it's how strong we've looked, how didn't we get across the line? How did we blow it? How did we bottle it right at the very end? Because momentum is definitely in our favour right now. We also don't have the depth. Yeah. And, and this, obviously the pandemic, which has caused games to be in such a short period of time, has just highlighted that even further. Yeah. But, I mean... I, obviously, I don't know what he's going to do, uh, and I don't know what he's thinking. But I, I'm just saying, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Fernandez start on the bench against Palace, just because it's Palace. This is Palace that that just got pumped. What was it, three nil by Villa? Mm. You know, like you're not telling me that we need Bruno Fernandez to play in order to get something from Palace. And if that is true, if we do need Bruno Fernandez to get something from Palace. We don't deserve to be playing in the Champions League anyway. We should have enough about us to get a result from Palace. The, the only thing I'd bring you back to is uh, the biggest change in in my tone even when talking about Manchester United has come in the turn of the year and it's the impact of Bruno Fernandes. And I think if you, if you take him out of the team and you go back to what we were like prior to January and we've, we've said it on this podcast, the United are finally winning games that we expect to be winning. The Sheffields you know so on the Bournemouth and so on the games that we actually previously in Brighton that we previously struggled against and I look back at those games and I see Juan Mata Jesse Lingard players like that passing the ball sideways now I know sometimes you have to pass the ball sideways but the thing about a playmaker and playing that role you need to make things happen and mm-hmm. I see people get annoyed with Fernandez when he takes too many risks and lose the ball but I'm sorry I don't care when he loses the ball if he does it in, in the opposition's half it's his job to take risks and I look at Mata and Pereira or even Lingard if, if potentially they start in that game against Palace I don't see where the creativity is going to come from you know you have Pogba in the team but also, maybe he might start Fred. Fred's someone that, that hasn't been getting many games at the moment because of the the midfield kind of shape at the moment. Matic, Fernandez, and Pogba. But maybe he might come in and might not be one of the Lingards or, or Matas. And I really hope it isn't because we need to win games. We do need to win games. And I, I think... I, th- I actually... I feel sorry for Solskjaer because he is in a, he's in a tough position with this. Because if he goes out against Palace on Thursday... And he names, except the the changes which are forced, i.e. Luke Shaw, except that, if he names a, an unchanged side again and it doesn't work, he's going to come in for some fierce criticism. But if he changes it slightly and that doesn't work, same thing. He's, he, he almost cannot win with, with what he does unless United win. But having said that, I think... I think Bruno Fernandes, even if it's just one half, even if he's just rested for one half and he plays half a game, mm. I think in the long run, that will benefit United more than what it will just saying, you've been our best player so far, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think we've got enough about us. We we must have with Manchester United. You're not telling me that we rely entirely 
on one player to beat Crystal Palace. That's absurd. I I I think the thing with Bruno Fernandez is it's not just the impact he makes as an individual on the pitch. He brings other players together, and you see we're, we're I know last night we drew two all, but before then we're all talking about the goals we're scoring. That's of an that's that's an impact of of, of a chemistry building, and like when I when we complained about the FA Cup game. Um, last time out when he made so many changes it was about disrupting the flow of the team and those connections are, are only new they're only building with Fernandes Martial Rashford and so on I just think for the remainder of the season whether players have knocks or not <laughs> we need this top four spot uh, and we'll, we'll get on to before the end of the podcast I want to touch on UEFA and City's core case and what that means but it, it, after last night's results for Manchester United it's really shit or bust now well, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think fans need to be going over the top like that. I mean, it's still in our hands, you know. We still decide if we get top four. Yeah. We're not not relying on other teams. We don't need um, West Ham to do us a favour or Spurs. To do us, you know, it, it's in our hands. But um, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. A draw to Southampton, it's not what I wanted. Like, do not get me wrong. But now it's happened. Come on, it's not the worst result in the world. It's really not. We, we you know, we'll we'll push on from that. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll beat Palace. Um, Palace are awful. They are awful. But the, my only concern with Palace is they've got a very difficult running, and Roy Hodgson has already said he doesn't want his season to totally capitulate. So I guarantee you they're going to be set up for a nil-nil draw, and those are the types of teams we struggle struggle against. Which perhaps aligns with what you're saying about Bruno Fernandez. That that might be why we see him, but. I think if you play Bruno Fernandes and you play our, you know, in brackets, best 11 kind of thing against Palace, I think we, it's clear that Oli is not prioritising the FA Cup, which is a shame because from a fan's perspective, I want to see us in a final. I want to see us possibly win it, you know. The other thing too, we know we focus on Bruno Fernandes, but Paul Pogba wasn't exceptional last night either. He didn't have one of his better games. And I, I, I want to give Southampton some credit here. They pressed United like a pack of wild dogs. Didn't give him a second throughout the game, and it, 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 we've often said how are teams going to cancel out tonight? How are teams going to deal with Bruno Fernandez, Paul Pogba in midfield? And Southampton did a really good job at it because yeah, they, him on the ball. yeah, they didn't give him a second on the ball. Pogba looked frustrated. The things they usually pull off for him don't happen. But I'm thinking also, you mentioned that Palace are going to this game looking for an in-all draw, maybe. I think they, so, yeah. they sit back. And they don't press like Sampton did. Maybe it won't be that much of a, a strain on Fernandez to start. He's going to picking out passes and unlocking defenses. Hopefully, um, I just I'm I'm really fearful of, of the risk of Solskjaer leaving out of the team. I don't think he will. I don't think he will leave out Fernandez for the main three games of the season. I think he'll start every game um, because I think Solskjaer, and you kind of touched on it a small bit, might put his eggs in one basket right now uh, and ensure. That he gets a top four, gets top four, and maybe even rests Fernandez against Chelsea in the FA Cup. I, I, I wouldn't be against that. I, I think it's so important we get into that Champions League spot in the league, and if that means sacrificing the FA Cup and we do well in the Europa League, I won't be bothered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just absolutely crazy that that from Thursday when we play Palace, we will have four games in ten days. But look at it, even this week, Lee. We played last night on Monday night. We have a game Thursday and we have a game Sunday. You know, it, it, the games are really, really, like, the one after the other. And I was trying to make out yesterday because 
before we played Sampton, I was kind of questioning whether he should start Nemanja Matic because he's a player on the wrong side of his 30s. He's played a lot of games, um, consecutive games, and it might be time to throw in maybe McTominay, who Solch has already said is kind of learning from, from Matic, and, and, and give him a run. And That's the change I would have made last night. Yeah. That's the change I would have made last night, 100%. I, Matic, for me, in my opinion... Um, is a very good player and he's someone I'm glad that we've got and opposed to not got. But he he suits games which um, for teams which allow allow that you know teams that sit off um, and allow more time on the ball. Um, you know, a team that would you know what we would call park the bus. Obviously, Southampton isn't one of those. Solskjaer knows that he highlighted that in his pre-match interview. He said their press is is a threat to us. Um, now, Matic, that doesn't suit his style. Because whilst he's technically good, he hasn't got the mobility, obviously. You know, yeah. he's, you say he's the wrong side of 30 now, and, you know, that's not fair to expect him to, to, to be so. But someone like McTominay, I just think, would have would have been a better addition at the heart of that midfield. It didn't happen, and it's very easy to criticise after the game. We all know that. Happy days. But... Yeah. I, I want to pick your brain a bit on Matic. And a quick question on him, because... Of late, people. I mean, of late, he's been fantastic. Let's, let's not forget that. But do you think maybe? Okay, for for instance, I went on a a live kind of video feed yesterday as a guest talking about the match, and I mentioned that I thought McTominay should start ahead of Matic, uh, and it was like it was like what? It was like are you crazy? Was, Matic has been very good lately, but let's not pretend either that he's one of the best players in the world. He's not. And I think a few months ago, he wasn't performing at this level. And the majority of Manchester United fans wanted him out. I know he got yeah. his new contract lately. He deserved it. He's playing well. But even going into next season, do you really think he's going to should be playing every, every single week? Like, you, like we just touched on. He's on the wrong side of his 30s. We need someone else for that role in the he's summer. Not, I mean, he's not going to play four games in 10 days. That's not going to happen. And if he does, Solskjaer deserves criticism. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But then I think about it, and I think surely not. Like, surely he's not going to start Nemanja Matic in four games in ten days. Four games in a normal period of a month, fine. But in ten days, it's not going to happen, or at least it, it shouldn't happen. So I think that we know we're going to have to make changes. When is the best time to make them? Do you make them in an FA Cup semi final against? one of our, you know, big top four rivals, you know, Chelsea, we hate Chelsea. Do you make them in the final day away to Leicester when it looks like it's going to be a Champions League playoff? Do you make them against West Ham, who are probably the most informed Premier League side out of what we've got in our running? Or do you make them against a dog turd Crystal Palace that have just been pumped 3-0 by Aston Villa? Like, come on, the answer is obvious. You make the changes on Thursday. If it doesn't work, fine. If it doesn't work fine, you've got five substitutions available. You can change half the team, but we need to make changes. We're going to hit burnout, and the whole, you know, it, the season's just going to going to end in disappointment. Otherwise, we have to. Yeah, it's wary because if the players hit burnout, they they won't be top four, they won't be a fake up, and they won't be Europa League. Yeah. And we, we we could come to the end of the season being extremely disappointed after having our kind of hopes risen. Um, some positivity, though. Obviously, the, the game, or Southampton took the lead in the first half with Stuart Armstrong at the back post. Again, poor defending. Um, you know, he had two quick-fire goals. Marcus Rashford and then Anthony Martial scored a, a beautiful goal. At the end, then, there was some... 
the very, very end. I was hoping. 97th minute they got the equaliser. But it came from real shambolic defending. It came from a corner. Um, we picked up on the blog that Harry Maguire is actually marking one of his own teammates. Um, leaving a man free in the box. But the, the, the man actually responsible for defending the, the goal scorer, Victor Lindelof, was totally napping. Um, flat-footed and I see Maguire getting all the, the stick after the game for the way he defended it but Lindelof was woeful and it's too many times I see him in positions where he, he's not alert to danger he, and when the danger comes he's not aggressive enough you look, you look at his position for the goalie it's, it's not good enough that a Manchester centre-back is not putting his body on the line and getting rid of that ball yeah, I agree, and I don't think. I mean, we're not we're not saying anything that that we've not been saying now for you know a season. United need defensive additions, and oh, I hate to say it, but I think whilst I don't think we're in a defensive crisis, I think there's too many mistakes which happen, and I think we would be we would look so much more solid if we eradicated those errors, and. For me, I've got to say it. I think I think a centre back is probably more of a priority than a right winger. Well, put put it this way, Leah. We're we're talking about top four, okay? And mm. next season, a lot of people believe Manchester United can challenge for a title because of this new form. And our form since January suggests that we're probably the most informed team in the Premier League. But we're still struggling to get in top four. And while th- that is the case, as you said. These, these mistakes are being made and really, really bad mistakes. That's the reason why Manchester United will not challenge for the title next season yeah, unless yeah. they address it. Absolutely agree. I think the goal scoring is not the problem. We know that. Like The, the, the numbers speak for themselves. I think Martial's now got 22 goals. Rashford's on 21. Yeah, when I, might... when, when I mentioned positivity, I, I didn't want to bring up the... I know I went on to speak about the equalising goal. I wanted to talk about Martial, so thanks for mentioning him. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just I think that the front three, you know, they they all they're all able to play in each other's positions as well. So they they have such good sort of interchangeability. They're banging in the goals. Goals are not the problem. Um, okay, we probably need depth. I agree with that. I think we need depth. We need an addition there. But if we can only make the one signing, what I'm saying is a centre back is more of a priority because we will not win the Premier League with Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire at def- as in defence. I can't see it happening at all. Okay, you, um, you mentioned okay, you mentioned two of them. You mentioned Lindelof and Maguire, which I'm delighted you did because it's annoyed me since Project Restart when I'm reading, say, opinion articles on different blogs or or different outlets suggesting that Manchester United are in desperate need of a partner for Victor Lindelof or sorry for Harry Maguire prior to the to the pandemic I would have been in total agreement because he was showing great form in the league since the return of football he's made I think top head I've counted three or four massive massive mistakes that have almost cost us in games and cost us last night do you think that going into the summer obviously they're spending 80 million on him last summer they're not going to replace him but they they probably need a better centre half than what we're being linked with. Mm, I... No, it's it's it, it seems like all the, the defenders are being linked with are kind of are budget defenders and defenders that will come in to to accommodate Maguire as as the main defender. But if he's our main defender and he's making constant mistakes like this, 
I'm a big fan of Harry Maguire. I think he's been brilliant this season. He, he, he deserved a captain's armband. All I'm saying is, you, we can't week after week criticise Victor Lindelof. Well, I'm sorry, but Harry Maguire is making similar mistakes. That's the thing. And that masking of criticism comes because, and I hate to say it, but I have to because I think it's true, is you look at Liverpool. They were in a worse position than United two seasons ago defensively. They had a horrendous keeper. Their defence was shambolic. So they had all this firepower going forward and they'd bang three, four in a game. But they'd always concede four or five. You know what I mean? Mm. And they had to address their defensive um, weakness. And they brought in Virgil van Dijk. Now, I'm not saying that he's the Messiah and he's the greatest centre-back the Premier League's ever seen or anything like that. I'm not. But his transformation of that back line cannot be underestimated. He, he's, he turned them from a team which looked good but were always prone to a howler to a team which was solid and if an opponent now scores against Liverpool you're quite surprised at how they've done that so United need to replicate that and that's where that masking of criticism for Harry Maguire comes from it's because United fans don't want to admit that we might have dropped a clanger spending 80 million pound on him I like Mm. him don't think he's a bad player I don't think he's he's the best centre-half though that that, we could have had no I don't and I I know, I know, I, I you know, I don't. I'm reluctant to. Um, no, I, to I, I, I totally I agree. As I see it, and I just think that, I just think that Harry Maguire, whilst he's a good player, you know, he is a good player. Of course, he's a good player. I don't see him being the 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 cornerstone of of our team at the back. Do you know what I mean? I just don't mm. think he's got that. Well, it's anything I've seen since the project restart has not been encouraging. Um, and, I, and I, don't, I don't want to single him out for, for, for really harsh criticism, but he deserves it. Um, and when he starts performing better, I'll be the first one to hold my hands up and say, well done. Um, I, 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 we're not saying in this podcast that we don't like Harry Maguire. What we're saying is what we're seeing in this time of need, when we need to be solid and winning games, he hasn't been good enough. Yeah, no, that, that yeah, that's, that's, well, that's exactly what I'm saying anyway. You know, I like him. And I think he's a good player, um, but we need, you know, we've got to call him out on it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, he's dropped, he's dropped a couple of clangers. And like you say, during a time where we need a bit of stability at the back and we need to be, at the very least, shutting up shop, you know. Before we get on to Man City and the UEFA announcement, a quick one. How fragile do you think Manchester United could be after last night's result do you think that it'll have a knock-on effect i know we talked to the players being tired but Solskjaer after the game was very quick to kind of say he doesn't um he wasn't critical of the players basically he was quite kind of upbeat and saying this is football this is what happens moments we should have took our chances but he kind of was kind of yeah. urging the players to go on now again and, and and wash away palace do you think we could be fragile after this result hmm Mm. <laughs> we shouldn't be, uh, and like we're t- we're talking about Crystal Palace, like like we're you know playing Liverpool or Manchester City or Real Madrid or Barcelona, like for our for our Premier League lives. It's Crystal Palace. They've just been pumped by Aston Villa. We should be able to go to London, you know, in an empty stadium, and win that win that game of football. And if we don't. 
we don't deserve to be in the Champions League because I dread to think what the likes of Bayern Munich would do to us anyway. So I, I'm not buying that. Like, we won't be fragile. We'll go, or at least we shouldn't be. We should go out. We should play our natural game with the best players that we've got available to us, with ex- with exception to maybe Bruno Fernandes, who I do think looks like he needs a rest. And we should win the game. Like, I, I think that's the closest thing our listeners are going to hear to Solskjaer's pre-match chat, Leah. <laughs> is that what he said? I didn't see no, it. No, no. Before before we played Palace, his, his pre-match chat to the players. I, I, it sounds oh. like it sounds like something that you were drumming there in terms of like you know empty stadium in London, Crystal Palace, your Man United. There's no there's no excuse for this. And if you don't win, you don't deserve Champions League football. It, it's kind of like the one thing. I suppose a positive from last night, what I took it as a positive, strangely, was when the camera shot on Martial walking off the pitch at Old Trafford. And it was reminiscent to Martial maybe five, six months ago, but in a different sense. We all joke about how he never smiles, how he always seems sulky and grumpy, um, less sulk maybe some people might call him. But since the arrival of Bruno Fernandes, we've seen a different person. We've seen someone hungry, someone scoring a lot more goals, um, with a smile on his face too. But after the game, he looked like a bulldog that can piss off a nettle. He was not one bit happy and he was coming off the pitch really stroppy. Actually reminiscent to last time out when he was substituted and he wasn't happy with Solskjaer's decision to substitute him because he hadn't scored a goal at the time. Mm. And I think this is exactly what I want. I want him to be pissed off after the game. I said this in the podcast before. I want players to be, to be throwing boots on the sideline, have a bit of, you know bit of hunger about them yeah, you know yeah, definitely. i mean martial last night for me was our best player yeah bar none yeah um you know he was superb last night and it's going to be gutting for him you know when he's played so well he's he's got a goal i think he set the other one up um and his team capitulate at the back again it's going to be frustrating if i'm martial i'd feel pissed off as well um so i like to see that a bit of hunger a bit of desire a bit of fire in your belly that you want to win and, and you're pissed off if you don't like, I like that I'm it's, all for that and I think that that mentality could be infectious and I hope it is well it, it must it must be an impact from Bruno Fernandes because this is one of the things that I was critical of of Martial previously I didn't think he really cared I think there was a lot of games where he was stroppy didn't work hard enough always sulking like I said and that really hasn't been the case since that injection came in it could be also to do with Solskjaer and his management which he yeah. deserves credit for. But okay. yeah, no, I see all this as encouraging signs. And I'm starting to believe that maybe, if, if, if like what you said, that they prioritise the defensive players this summer, that Martial has scored over 20 goals this season. So has Rashford. And Mason Greenwood, I think, is four goals off it. You okay. know, that doesn't really tell me that we need to go out and sign a, sign a, a top-class centre-forward because we've got three young players that are banging in goals, if we can sort out the defence, like you said, we'll be a lot, lot closer. And I think in, in, a, in a COVID-19 era too, we know that clubs are not going to be able to spend like, like they want to. They can't go out and spend, say, 300 million on revamping their squad and getting in X amount of players in different departments. They're going to have to be clever. And that's when Solskjaer, the, the way he prioritises his targets this summer is key. And one team who will be allowed to spend in the summer, Man City. Um, they were supposedly given a two-year ban from European competition, thirty million fine, but just legalities and and UEFA not doing their homework. It came back and bit UEFA in the arse yesterday, and a massive sense of embarrassment for him because the the court 
um, or Kaz, even as we as we as we're calling it, they um, basically said the the rules in which City were breaking, they were ta- time barred, so they couldn't be prosecuted for them. And obviously, someone at UEFA was asleep at the wheel when all this was happening. So basically, City have got away with with cheating. And you look at the the amount of trophies they've won in recent years and start to wonder how many of them trophies would they have won if the rules were in place and enforced. Oh, I don't know. I think it's I'm just not saying, by the way, I agree with financial fair play. I'm just saying that the rules are there. They're to be to be followed. We follow them. Liverpool follow them. Other clubs follow them. They haven't, and they've got away with it. Yeah, I just I think the whole governing bodies are, are embarrassing. Every, everyone, everyone, every body that that governs football, UEFA, FIFA, FA. They're, they're just, they have no backbone. It's like, how embarrassing. It's like you've told a club that this is your, this is your, you know, you're exercising your authority. This is the decision which we're going to make. We're going to come down hard on this because X, Y and Z rules have been broken. And all it's taken is, is a top lawyer to overturn that. And it's, it's just embarrassing. And I find it quite strange how all of this is tied in during a week which we're supposed to see the Newcastle takeover get the nod. Like that for me, I find strange because Newcastle's takeover or potential takeover from the Saudis, a lot of it, a lot of that is centred around financial fair play. They want to come in, they want to spend X amount of money um, without breaking financial fair play. Now, I wonder if that has, has, has had any impact into the decision. I mean, I don't know, obviously, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think someone at UEFA was asleep at the wheel had not read the conditions clearly. Didn't wasn't clearly wasn't aware that there was a t- time bar time bar on these um, on these rules. But like, it's it, it's massively dangerous football too for UEFA to to take City to court and to lose in such an embarrassing manner against a, a state-owned club. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about state-owned clubs and and the power financial power. And obviously, this this is a massive sense of, a, of an ego massage for City because course, for, yeah. for a long time, we've been slating City. We've been slagging them off for, for breaking the rules, cheating, and oh. where the money comes from. But right now, they're pretty happy with themselves. They've, they've, they've kind of cleaned their plate a small bit because it didn't get done. Oh. And they have to pay a small 10 million fee. They're back in the Champions League. It, it, it almost sorts out the future or the uncertain future of Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling and key players they could have lost over this. And even Pep Guardiola. Oh, I know. It's just, I mean, I don't even, I don't even care what the outcome was. I don't care if they were banned for two years, one year. Or, you know, I don't care. My concern is obviously Manchester United. But from a governing body perspective, who also govern Manchester United, you know, they govern everybody. It's it's just embarrassing and it's weak and uh, yeah okay we're, we're likely to see City's best players remain at the club we're likely to see Guardiola remain at the club um, we're going to see them in the Champions League next season but it just goes back like it's it's really weak and embarrassing from from the governing body and and I want to say it needs to get addressed but it's not going to be you know it's not going to be well. We're still going to play World Cups in Qatar and, you know, we're still going to, you know, have controversy around Barcelona, you know, in um, with regards to emergency transfers because they're, you know, their players have been injured. You know, it's always going to happen. Um, it's corrupt. We know it's corrupt. But what's going to change? Nothing. I want to bring on the last topic, which I believe will set you into an ang- angry ball of frustration um, and myself far. 
So last night Greenwood nearly had his leg snapped. Var checked it. Saw no problem. And no booking. Gary Neville fumed on Sky Sports that it was a red card. Matt Letizia with his head stuck up his arse said that it wasn't a booking. Mm. This is the thing. I, where to start with VAR? I hate it. I've always hated it. I want it out of the game. No, actually, I don't want it out of the game. I want it reformed completely, top to bottom. It doesn't work. Um, last night's incident was one of hundreds which we could pick at. Um, not just from United's point of view, either Spurs, for argument's sake, just off the top of my head. Harry Kane, you yeah, won't see yeah. a more Stonewall penalty, you know, this season. Um, didn't get given. Now, they're trying to... Um, with VAR, they're trying to give definitive decisions to moments of play which are still open to interpretation. Last night's um, challenge on Greenwood was not great. Definitely not. That's the nicest thing I could probably say about it. It should have been a card. Um, VAR doesn't intervene. And this is this is the problem. There's too many inconsistencies. Now, I, had, I, w- I was talking to someone last night and, and they said... Um, you know, but but VAR is is there constantly running in the background for if something happens behind play, which the ref doesn't see. Now, my argument to that is the referee isn't the only one down there on the pitch. He's got two linesmen either side of him in each half of the pitch. If they don't spot something which has happened behind him, they've got a fourth official. And if he doesn't spot something which has happened behind him, then the player's got away with it. If he's kicked him out or he's elbowed him, whatever, he's got away with it because nobody's seen it. VAR should only come in if the referee asks for his for its help. So if the linesman's flagging away, the referee blows up, stops play, runs over to the linesman, he says, what's up? And he says, oh, I've just seen number eight kick out at number 10. Um, I think it might have been intentional. It didn't look accidental to me. The referee then phones through to VAR to Stockley Park and says, look, this is what I've been told. Number eight's kicked out at number 10. Can you have a quick look? Tell me if it was an accident or if it was deliberate. VAR checks it and says, yeah, it's intentional. He needs to go for that. And that's it. We shouldn't be seeing goals go in and VAR checking it. Like, unless the referee is blown up immediately there and then, VAR should not be involved. And it's frustrating because you see, you'll see a goal from, you know, a player pick up the ball in his, in his own half, go on a Messi-esque run, bang it in the top corner, massive celebration, but hang on, we've got to check VAR. Absolutely nothing happened, but we'll check VAR anyway. Yeah, goal allowed. Way, let's have another celebration. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, no, I, I, there's a few issues that I definitely have with it, and they really stemmed a week ago. It was the night um, we played Villa, and obviously there was controversy over Bruno Fernandes winning the penalty. And the same night, the incident you mentioned, Harry Kane being pushed inside the box, clear penalty not given. There was a third incident that night in the Premier League, which I don't have on the top of my head. But it struck me as really weird that after the match, the Premier League came out and condemned these decisions and said they were wrong. They've not done that before. And VAR have got stuff wrong before and has got stuff wrong before. And they never commented on it. But they came out in this weird way that like, really kind of put even more kind of scrutiny on, on VAR didn't do any favours and I think it made me think about the biggest problem of all of all this they they have they don't like they have the referees okay in in that studio making the calls they brought in VAR supposedly to take the workload off referees Mm. okay so the referees were doing too much work too much pressure on them can we not when we when when we when we said we were going to do this, VAR, could the Premier League not create a panel? 
maybe of ex maybe of former players that played the game to to take out to to do this role or someone not referees they're busy enough as it is they're under enough pressure like I seen the other day Michael Oliver was in charge of mm. I think two consecutive Tottenham games including the North London derby and you mm. Tottenham fans absolutely going crazy about this they they don't like him and. There's two sides to that. Okay, he might have been unfair to them a few times. I can understand their their frustration. But secondly, the Premier League putting him in control of consecutive games and a very big one, it puts it, it, it's the reason why referees get so much abuse. You know, yeah. the, the the Premier League has to take responsibility. Um, and the whole thing with VAR, they, it should be done before next season. That they actually have they have, they have a vote on a panel. And the referees, if they, if they want to be involved in it, that's fair enough. Maybe cut their duties, get in different referees that want to ref- officiate the game. Or bring up referees in the championship to do the to do the, the VAR. Something or other, because you can't have the same referees doing both. Yeah, I just I think they I just think they're trying to overcomplicate it. And I think it honestly, I think it just comes down to, to something as simple as VAR is there if the referee wants it. Therefore, I mean, how many decisions happen a game where the referee really isn't sure? I mean, not not very many. He either makes a decision or he It doesn't. depends if it's John Moss and he can't get around the pitch, Leah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If he's, if he's still 30 yards behind play, he's unlikely to have seen it, granted. But, um, you know, we don't... He loves VAR. John Moss is the one that created VAR, I think. Yeah, I know. He just wanted to be sat in Stockley Park right, with his feet up eating a pot noodle. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, we, we love John Moss, really. Um, but I, I just think, you know, we don't often see referees have to confer with their linesmen or their fourth officials because they're not sure it could have gone one way or another. We don't often see that. Um but when we do see that, they're the moments that VAR need to come in, in into play. And the referee just needs to say, hang on, boys, I'm going to stop for one minute. I just need to ask the guys in Stockley Park exactly what's happened. That's the only time. Not with every goal that gets scored. Not for a marginal offside. Unless the linesman has flagged for it, it's not offside. Um, and I just think that, you know, we're, we're taking the excitement out of the game and it's becoming this stop-start and... Oh, I just oh, I hate it. Someone please just go and burn Stockley Park down. I hate it. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, <laughs> so we want your thoughts on VAR. Um, send us a tweet at the Shreddy Cast. Let us know what you think. Do you think? Uh, do you agree with Leah that you, you you want to basically reformed or perhaps abolished or if you have any ideas that you think would help improve it or maybe change certain aspects that you don't think are working? Let us know because. It's 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 definitely something that's gonna come back on the podcast probably before the season ends again, um, every week. That that's another thing, isn't it, Leah? It's supposed to almost wipe out controversy, and it's done anything but this season. It, every week, every week, without fail, there's numerous incidents, and it really hasn't stopped controversy. You know, it, pe- pe- people kind of were fearful when it was introduced that oh, one of the exciting aspects of football, and one of the aspects that I love. It's coming away from a game and, you know, having a discussion of bloody hell, the referee, if he, if he didn't do that, the outcome would have been different and so on. It's part of football. It's part of what we chat well, about. This, this is exactly what I was saying um, last night when I was talking about it. And for me, and I know this sounds cliche and, and, and a bit sad, if you like, but football and sport in general, for me, should be a visible 
representation of life it should be unpredictable it should be unfair sometimes you know you should have things that that go against you but equally it should be dramatic and and things should go in your favor at times and and this nonsense that we're seeing with 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 toenails offline and and armpit hair touching the ball you know just i hate it it's too it's too finickety if you like and yeah. i just think yeah. if, if they're the decisions that we're going to rule on we'll just get rid of referees have a drone above the pitch and some lasers running down the side of the, the boards because that's that's clearly what they want they want it to be absolute and in a game of football it can't be absolute i hate it dale i hate it i'm sorry i do i really hate it it winds me up john mask controlling a drone <laughs> <laughs> um leah before we go then give us a quick prediction for the game against palace Oh, uh, you, you're sounding very confident about this when it is only <laughs> Palace, remember? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know, but I just I feel like they're just going to park the bus and it's going to be made really difficult. I don't think it's going to be a particularly good game. Uh, I'll go, I'll go a scrappy two nil. I'm going to go two nil as well. Uh, same prediction. Yeah. I think we, I think we win two. That was my prediction last night too. I didn't expect us to concede two goals, but it happened. Um, and just just a quick mention too. Um, obviously, this week the passing of Jack Charlton hit the football world. Some great obituaries online and some interviews about him as a person. Uh, there's a few things from him and Dunphy, who uh, I think they had a funny relationship um, down the years. But he commented on how Jack Charlton was a smoker who had no fags. Um, and uh, another another thing, cra- crazy. Um, you know, here in Ireland, dude, this the way he shape, changed the shape of football as manager after Italia 90. Yeah. You can really see the, the the kind of impact his death this week had on people here in Ireland. There was shows on the radio on Saturday and Sunday basically dedicated to the man. Um, and a, an English man who won the World Cup, and a, I feel apparently he, he applied for an, the England job and the, he got no response and felt a bit kind of betrayed by that. But then he, he managed Ireland and was kind of taken in by the country. And, you know, he's, like I said, someone to change the shape. Brother of Sir Bobby Charlton as well, of course. So our thoughts are with the Charlton family. And we'll see you again this week for a review of the Palace game. I'll be joined by Mike for that one. So make sure you follow Straycast on Twitter. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Straighty News. Get your fix of Manchester United news, of course, on straightynews.com. And Leah, before you go, how can we follow you on Twitter? My hashtag or at whatever is uh, at L Smith followed by five underscores. Five underscores, exactly right. Leah, thanks so much for joining us and hopefully next time back we're talking about a win rather than drop points. Or John Moss controlling a drone. Sports Social Podcast Network.